You are listening to Sermon Audio from Red Tree Church. For more information about our church or to find more Sermon Audio, visit redtreechurch.com. Well, thank you for having me back, and thank you for being a big part of our church plant. Um, you can open up to the book of Malachi if you're not already there. And as you're opening up, I want to ask a question to get your mind thinking a little bit about where we're going. Um, you know, speaking of our church, there's, there's often what we joke about at Echo Church is we often think about renaming our church. Um, we call it Echo because we believe that when we experience the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our place and things that we couldn't do, accomplishing what we could never accomplish, and resting in his work, that the call to follow Christ is one to die. And so almost every Sunday, you'll hear at our church, this is a place to die. Because it's only in when we die that we can find life. And so we talk about renaming our church um, Death Church. And uh, I don't know if that would go over well, although I will say Washington is a place where church plants go to die. It is a hard ground. My wife and I have been plowing that ground for nearly three and a half years, and we just planted our church in September. It's a place full of false idols, religion, alcoholism, success, youth sports. You're probably familiar with that. And you plow the ground, and you plow the ground. And I'm no farmer. I'm no, um, I'm terrible at growing things. Um, I, I'm great at growing weeds, um, but not things that actually matter. And so you know when you're planting a seed, you have no control over it. Um, our front yard, because I have six kids, was pretty worn out because they like to play kickball and wiffle ball and all kinds of stuff in the front yard and golf, and there's holes all over the place. And so this spring, right before it really got warm, we decided to throw a bunch of seed out there, and I had a bunch of straw in the back, and we threw straw. It looked like a mess. And to our unbelief, some of the grass actually started growing, right? They fell in the cracks, and it was seeded. But we had no control over that. All we can do is plant seeds, and you till the ground, and you work the ground, and you pray. I think some of the most important people that pray in our world are probably farmers, because they know they put in hours of endless work, and sometimes the harvest isn't, doesn't yield as much as they had hoped for. And so I say that to say we are counted a blessing to be um, in Washington, to be planning a church by the grace of God, to see him work and move in only the ways that he can, and he's doing that. So um, that's enough about our church. Thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting us financially. Thank you for supporting us in your prayers. You can continue to pray those prayers. We not only need mature believers to come alongside to jump in and say, we're in this with you because we want to see the gospel saturate our community, but we also have a desire to reach lost people. And there are people that are literally walking on the road to destruction and clapping the whole way. And we want to see these broken lives turned 
for the glory of God. So you can be praying for that as well. So um, Malachi chapter 2, this is interesting. We are actually in a series uh, called The Lord's Prayer. The Lord teaches us to pray where we can learn how to pray, and we're looking through the Lord's Prayer. In fact, one of your guys, Brandon Hughes, you can be praying in spirit right now. He's probably getting close to wrapping up, is preaching in my place. And uh, he's preaching on doing the Lord's will. And so as I look into Malachi, as I was researching and studying the background of this book, and um, it was really uh, encouraging to my own heart, um, a couple of things stood out. And we'll get to the scriptures in a minute. So Malachi chapter 2. But I want to ask a question and get you thinking. Have you ever been overconfident in something? Ever placed your confidence in your abilities or something else and only to see it fail miserably? Um. I was reading a story, this is an actual police report in Sarasota, Florida, um, and it was an elderly woman, and she had just gone into the grocery store and got her groceries, and she came out with her bags in hand, and she went to her car, and when she got to her car, she noticed there were four men sitting in her vehicle. Now, Florida is a big state for Second Amendment rights, and so what does little old granny do? She pulls out a big old handgun. And without hesitation, she points it at her car and demands these men that are in her car to get out or she's going to shoot. And these men quickly obliged, got out, and left all their stuff. They run, and they're gone. And so she gets into her car, and she puts her bags in her car, and she puts her key in ignition, except it won't quite fit. She can't get it in, and she can't turn the car. Then she looks around, and she sees some water bottles, and there's a basketball, and there's a Frisbee, and she's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, made a mistake. So she gets out, and she sees her car about four spots down. She goes in and gets in her car, and then she immediately drives to the police station, and she's going into the police station to tell them what had just happened to file a report and say, hey, I pulled a weapon on four guys that I thought were in my car. It was not my car. It was their car. And the guy is filing the report, and she looks over, and she sees four guys, faces pale as the moon, filing a report that some old grandma tried to carjack them. (laughs) We can misplace our confidence in so many things. Um, My wife um, took a video of me reluctantly, uh, a few years ago, because when in Rome, you act like Romans, right? And we used to live in Troy, Missouri, in Lincoln County. They have a fair. It's coming up. And so you take your kids to the fair because there's rides there and there's games they can play. And so we got there one day really early because they have all these games. Like they, they throw out all this hay in this bin and they have quarters hidden in there. And so the kids got to go and find the quarters and they got to keep the quarters. Or they have bubble blowing contests. And they had these races, And so, you know, some of my kids are competitive and some of them aren't quite all that competitive. And we encourage them to do the race. And I'm not sure any of them won the race. We may have had one or two, but the ones that didn't win the race were really heartbroken that they ran this race and they didn't win the race. And I'm there with my wife. I'm there with my brother-in-laws and their families and tons of other people. And they just said, hey, we're going to have a race for the adults. And I thought it would be cool to go ahead and show my kids that winning doesn't matter. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to run the race. I'm probably 38 or 39 at the time. I can't remember how old I am. I don't even know how old I am right now. So it doesn't matter. And um, I was wearing these shoes. They're called Chinooks. You know what these are? They're like, um, they're they're called sandals, but they look like um, not sandals, but they're sandals. 
And I thought, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to run this race. I'm racing against these old guys. I'm going to win, right? Like, I am athletic. I am in good shape. I'm going to win this race. And um, I, I say I bring up my wife because I think she videoed this. So there may be evidence either on her phone or possibly on her Facebook page. Somewhere on the interweb, it's out there. And I get in the blocks, and there's about seven or eight other guys, and I'm like, going down, right? The horn blows, and I take off. And it is like hard ground. It's like where they have the tractor pole and everything else. And I am flying, and I see that I'm pretty close to the front, and I'm like, I'm going to turn it on. And I'm turning it on, and I'm going to win this thing. I get about 10 feet from the end, and my mind is like, yes, you are here. You're going to win this race. And my legs are like, nope, nope, not today. And my legs felt like they were like 10-pound concrete blocks, and they just wouldn't keep up. And the next thing I know, I am on the ground doing a head roll. And another guy had fallen too, so I don't feel as bad. But his shoes went flying off. And everyone thought it was my shoes, and I quickly got up and finished probably not last, but close to last. I really thought I could win this race. My body was like, no, not today. I bring this up because I think so often we put our confidence in things, that will only let us down. Like even as I stand here getting ready to preach the word of God, I can put my confidence in my perceived abilities. Like if you had asked me in high school if I would ever be preaching, I would have been a thousand times no. If you would have asked me if I would be a pastor, it would be a thousand times no. I had no desire to do this. But it's so easy to put our confidence in our flesh and the giftings maybe God has given us and not look at the giver of the gifts. So as I'm looking at Malachi, I'm looking at this chapter, I'm looking at the role of priests. As a youth pastor, this is a great passage to preach at youth camp, just saying. But for us today, there's important things to learn about where we place our confidence. In fact, the more I look at the scripture, the more I'm thinking we're going to go there today is... It's all a matter of our heart. Today, as I'm reading Malachi, it's about where is our heart in relationship with our God. Heart of my own hearts. And I love that song. So let's open up Malachi chapter 2. Let's read these scriptures. And then I hope to do my best to help explain the heart of God and where our hearts fit in this place. Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Verse 3, Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taking away with it So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with them to him, and my covenant with him was one of life and peace. Doesn't that sound great? And I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Verse 8, But you have turned aside from the way, 
You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. So what we have here is we have God calling out the people that were leading the people of God. Now, now if you have read the Old Testament and you've scanned it, you've seen this kind of story reoccurring, that God, by his divine and sovereign grace, in only the ways that he can know, none that, that we could ever really fully encompass, set aside his people. He picked his people and set them aside for reasons only known to him, to make his glory known, we know that. And yet all of Israel, who knows the one and true God, not running around following false gods, man-made gods, I mean, we see this even in the Exodus, as God did all these miracles to bring his people out from oppression of Pharaoh, splitting the sea. Moses is on the mountain. They see and feel God's presence. And what do they do while Moses is waiting? They get so impatient. They take all the gold and make a golden calf to worship. That's insane. Like, you and I would think, that would ne- we would never do that. But I'm here to tell you, that's exactly what we would do. Like, when I read scripture, I used to read it as if I would be the hero. Like, I would be that good guy that made the right decision. But as I grow older, I realize I am far from making the good and right decisions. I am Israel. And so what happens to the nation of Israel over time? They come back to God because God disciplines the ones he loves to extreme measures at time so that they have to turn back to the real and true God. Like, this is so our hearts, isn't it? This is so our longings of our heart that we don't always desire God, that we desire these other things. We put confidence in so many things that we think will bring us joy and happiness and peace. But if we follow what Levi did, the covenant God made with Levi, who set up all of the priesthood, following the word of God, guarding it with knowledge, dispensing it, believing in it, he had life and peace. Man, I I want life and peace, don't you? I don't want chaos. I don't want death. But I know left to my own devices, my heart will choose things other than God. That my confidence will be put in my abilities, in my desires, that don't always line up with the Lord's. The priests had a unique role in that they were the ones set apart to go on behalf of God for the people. Not only that, we read this this morning, Psalm 119. I delight in your law, right? Like David writes, I love your law. And yet we've been taught so many times that we want to, the, the law is something that we've been freed from, which is true, but we don't like the law, right? We don't like the rules. Now, some of you do. Some of you like boundaries. Some of you like to know that there are things that we are supposed to do. If you're a firstborn, you know exactly what I'm saying. If you're a baby, you have no idea what I said. And if you're a middle child, the Lord help you, okay? But David writes, oh, that I delight in your law, that I love your law. How can he write something like this? Because I'm a baby, and I'm a rule bender. I don't always like the rules. But David writes this because it's in the, the law of God. It's in these boundaries that we find life and peace. This is where life and peace 
peace exists. And so the priests were set up to know it, to guard it. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it's the wellspring of life. We are to guard our hearts in such a way that we fill it with the things of God. We fill it with the scriptures. We fill it with the knowledge of God. We fill it with his law because in his law is life. And in his law is peace. And so the priests weren't doing this job. And what did they do? They helped lead the people away from the one true God. There is extreme amount of pressure on any pastor or any preacher that stands up here with the word of God praying, Lord, speak. May it be your word speaking and not my own because there have been plenty of times I've relied on my own abilities and not the word of God. You could go home right now and flip on your television and you could see someone that I'll loosely call a preacher, more of a motivational speaker, speaking on behalf of God, something that God is completely against. We guard this because we know that there's truth and life found in this. And the priests weren't doing this. And the people were led astray. And what they would do is they brought their offerings on behalf of the people to the Lord. Is they would take all the parts, like the dung and the guts, and they would take them outside the camp and bury them. This is symbolic of the Lord's presence being inside the temple, inside the tabernacle. And he can't be around anything that's unholy and filthy. And so we take this out. This is representative of our sin in our lives. That we have a priest that's gone on behalf of us that's lived the perfect life so that we can be in his presence. Because otherwise, you and I are left outside the camp. And so God's making a point. He's like, I'm going to embarrass you. I'm going to show you that you're not worshiping me. I'm going to put the dung of the offerings that you're bringing that you're supposed to take outside of the camp, I'm not just going to put the dung outside the camp. I'm going to wipe it on your face, and you're outside the camp. It's removing this. I think when I read these scriptures, what I'm hearing the Lord speak, what I'm seeing him say, is this is a matter of the heart, right? Like a pastor's role is to shepherd the people of God he's brought together. And we do that by reading the scriptures. But we also know that in Ephesians 4, Paul writes about the church, and he talks about equipping the saints for the ministry of the church. This is you, right? Like you're dispensers of grace. You are reconcilers of people to God. God has equipped you uniquely to carry forth the gospel and preach good news and hope to people around that only you can speak to. This is absolutely important. And so we all together are ministers. We're members of the royal priesthood together. And so we all have roles to play. And so we need to guard this knowledge of the word of God and put it deep within our hearts, which is why we gather on Sunday morning to be reminded of this word, to be reminded that it's good. And what I see here in this people is I see a people that is apathetic towards their God. Right? You ever go through the motions? Like, like, it's so easy. Like, on my drives to work, um, I usually drive the same road nearly every day. I've been driving this road since I was a child because I, growing up in Washington, my grandparents lived in Winsville, and so we would make this trip, and now that I work up that way, like, I make it. Like, I, there's many times I get home, and I don't even remember the drive. You ever been there? There's routines in our lives that are so normal to us that it's just, we don't even have to think about it. 
And I think what was happening here is you have a people and a priest that were so far removed from God, they're bringing their offerings, but there's no heart involved. There's no love for the Lord. It's going through the motions without connecting our heart and our soul to the giver of life. Which is why I think God is saying, listen, I'm going I'm to embarrass you because I don't need your offerings. David, in Psalm 51, this was after he had got a little lazy, got a little comfortable, saw Bathsheba, took Bathsheba. You know the story. Killed her husband Uriah, which was one of his friends, one of his mighty warriors. And nothing is connecting with the heart of David, yet he is called in Samuel a man after God's own heart. How? Why? Can someone who does that be considered a man after God's own heart? Because the prophet Nathan, right? We need these prophets in our lives. He comes to him and he shares this story about a man who's got one lamb, one ewe lamb, a baby, and he's raising it as a family member. And a rich person comes in and takes it and and eats it. And David's so upset that Nathan would share this story. And and he says, what should should happen to the man, David? And David says, "He he should be murdered. And he says, David, you are the man. Now, David could have welled up in pride and just got rid of Nathan. But what makes David a man after God's own heart? Psalm 51 talks about this. He says, you desire not sacrifices. What you desire is a broken and contrite spirit and a heart, right? This is the cry of David. This is why he was a man after God's own heart, because he was broken over his sin, and he realized God could still forgive him of that sin, as wicked as it was. We categorize things. We order things, right? We judge other people. We like to think that sometimes, well, my sin isn't as bad as their sin, right? And when I think back to Easter, when I think to the cross, I think of even the most insignificant sins in my life were very significant. They were significant because they cost Jesus his life. Like he willingly laid down his life for even the smallest and insignificant sins that I thought weren't that bad. And so are we going to be a people that is broken over our sin? Are we going to come to the church and worship together and offer up sacrifices that really aren't sacrifices at all? I think what we're seeing here is an issue of the heart. The Lord desires the heart of his people above and beyond anything else that we could offer him. Just one more book over in Matthew, start of the New Testament. There were 400 years of silence after Malachi. This messenger to his people, desperately pleading for them, showing them their way, like, this is your Lord, and then the Lord goes silent. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and here's what Jesus teaches. In Matthew chapter 6, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes in this whole section. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, he says this as he's teaching. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys 
and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now listen to this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He goes on to say, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. (laughs) Why am I sharing this with you? There's so much here. Like, our eyes and what we see and what we allow into our hearts deeply affects us more than we know. The TV shows that we watch deeply affect us more than we know. The music we listen to deeply affects us more than we know. How do I know this? Because I see it's evidence in my life. When I am working with the guys... I have to put headphones in half the time and listen to sermons and podcasts and all kinds of weird stuff. Sometimes I can do that, sometimes I can't. And when I don't do that and we're listening to music on the radio or playlists, I have to ask them to turn the song because I can't listen to that song. Because I know that that song is going to have an effect in my heart that's going to well up in me that I'm going to hate. Um... What song was that? (laughs) There are times I send my wife text messages while I'm working. And I just say, hey, Christine, will you pray for me? I'm feeling angry and I have no idea why. There are times that I'm angry for reasons. And there's times that I just don't know why. And I think there's a deep root of some of the songs that come on the radio that have infiltrated my heart. I've not guarded it as the wellspring of life. It's affecting me. I, as a teenager, I used to not believe this, right? We'd have CD burning parties. There used to be these things called CDs you'd buy, Best Buy for $9.99. We would drive in from Washington to Best Buy because gas was only $1.10 at the time, and you would buy CDs for 10 bucks. And we would have these CD burning parties. <laughs> I never could bring myself to burn them. I thought I just couldn't do it, but I would put them away for a while, right? And I never believed that what I listened to affected me. But I know now, as I'm older, that it does affect me. I think the things that we watch and see affect us. I see a lot of people watching shows on HBO that I think shouldn't be watching those shows. I'm not just talking about this outward stuff. He's talking about laying up your treasure. Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where is our treasure this morning? Where is our treasure every moment of our lives? He says, you cannot serve God in money. The word translated there in the Greek is mammon. Um, And you can trace that word all the way back to um, the Aramaic. And what the Aramaic actually means in the culture is confidence. Isn't that interesting? That so often in the world that we live in, Money is the driving factor behind all that we do and the value we find in ourselves. Right? Like, bills are a real deal, right? One of the reasons I long for the Lord to come back. No more taxes and no more bills. Because they never stop. They're relentless. They show up always. 
and you're paying these out. And so it's always on our minds. And we live in a culture that says to be successful in this culture, in this world, is far beyond what Jesus is actually teaching. No one's out there telling you to be a servant to those. You don't see your boss coming down and serving you. If you do, you're very blessed. But it's often how you can serve me. And so this word is our confidence. Where are we putting our confidence Are we putting it in the things of this world or our achievements or our dreams or, dare I say, the American dream, which I find on the far side of the Christian life? It's easy to put our confidence in things other than Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on to share in Matthew chapter 13 about where we lay our, what is, the, what is our treasure? What is our greatest treasure? I could tell you that my greatest treasure, physical treasure in my life, is a 1963 Gibson 355 cherry red with 24 karat gold plated PAF humbuckers with a vibrato along with pearl inserts. It's a beautiful guitar. It was my dad's. And I have it. And it's priceless to me and it's worth a pretty penny. It is my greatest physical treasure outside of my relationship with God and my family right? Like my physical thing, right? Do you have a physical thing that's like your greatest treasure and you would do anything to hold on to that treasure? And the problem is if I treasure that more than I treasure my relationship with God. My problem is if I treasure my wife more than I treasure Jesus. I'm going to really push down. My treasure, if it's not Christ, it's my family, is a misplaced priority. If my kids are more important than my God, I'm wrong. If my work is more important than my God, I'm wrong. Jesus is our treasure. In Matthew 13, he talks about these two short stories. And he says, there's a man and he finds a treasure hidden in a field. We'll go and sell all that he has to go and buy that field because then he gets the treasure. He says, this is the kingdom of God. He says, the kingdom of God is also like this pearl merchant who goes and finds a pearl, and he goes and sells all that he has to go and purchase the pearl. Like, we will do whatever it takes to make sure that Jesus is the center of our lives. This is the kingdom of God, that it's the greatest treasure that you and I could ever fully grasp, ever fully have. And when we get this right, everything else gets in place. When Jesus is number one in my life, not the rituals of following Jesus, not trying to do good all the time, not trying to be at church every Sunday, although you should, not trying so hard to earn God's favor, but when he is my treasure in all of my heart, then guess what? I can love my wife better. I can love my kids better. I can love my coworkers better. But when it's out of place, my confidence, my mammon, my desire is me. So this morning, what we see in Malachi is we see priests that have lost their way. We see a people that have lost their way. And isn't it something that you and I, like if, if you can go, you can go to NASA's website, right? And you can go and you can find, they have released all these pictures that far exceed anything that any television could actually give justice to. In fact, if you wanted to download one of those files, you would probably need like 10 computers because the file is so large. These pictures are so amazing of all these different galaxies and stars out in the universe. 
Like if you find yourself in that place looking at all that God created and you see there is this one little rock in the midst of all of this endless universes. And on this little rock are these little human beings made of dirt walking around in this little bitty dot of a rock in this giant universe of universes. Yet the God who created all of this knows you. And he cares about you. And he cares about what's going on in your life. He's never too busy for you to come and ask him. We were doing this prayer series, and I had to tell our people, because I heard a story of an older lady um, who wanted to pray. She says, oh, God's just too busy for me. If he's too busy for you, he's not a God. He always has time for his people. And the smallest of things that you bring to him, he cares about. Like, I have a tendency when my kids are coming to me, and there's six of them, so it's quite often, to try to brush them off. God never brushes you off. You never interrupt him. He's a beautiful, perfect heavenly father who gives good and gracious gifts to his people, and you're never so far off that you can't ask him for something. He's not like Bruce Almighty. Remember this movie? And he's getting overwhelmed with all the prayer requests. God never gets overwhelmed and says yes to all. Because if he says yes to all, it's complete, utter chaos. We have a God that you are one of his treasures in Christ. You're not the treasure. Jesus is the treasure. Let's not mistake this. But in Christ, you are in Christ and you are a part of that treasure. And so we have to learn and we have to, to fight and we have to come together as a community of faith together and say, is Jesus worth living and dying for? Is he worth living a life that no one else, I mean, how do we stand out into this culture that we live in? We stand out by not falling into the culture in which we live, pursuing the things that the, the culture pursues. We were talking before church this morning, and I think Sam talked about it last week, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase what he said, what a friend of mine, Mark Sigma, said, that if your neighbor only knew Jesus by your lifestyle, what would he say? Is Jesus the thing that we treasure the most? Because what was happening in Malachi is he was not. God was just something to go and do. Time clock Christians, come in, check in for an hour, check out, and I'm done. And Jesus says, I want all of your heart. I want it all. And I think if we learn to give him all of our heart and we treasure him above all else, I think the life and peace that Levi had, I think you and I will see. Because when those storms of life come, we have a peace that surpasses, and that's how a culture can understand what is it about them. To learn to embrace suffering. Because you will embrace suffering. This life in Christ was never a cakewalk. It was never intended to be easy. It was a life of perpetual death every day we wake up. Because our hearts don't always long for him. So um, I've said enough. I want to wrap it up here. Uh, my prayer is that as we look to the word of God, as we see Jesus teaching about our treasures, as we see Malachi saying this prophetic word, these priests, God is not your treasure. He was to Levi. Knowing the law of God was to Levi. Knowing God through his law was to Levi. He had life and peace. But to you, it just becomes something to do. Like as a, as a former youth pastor, former worship leader, 
And now, pastor and planter, like, I'm not always in the mood, right? Like, do you not think Satan wants to do everything against you to keep you from coming on Sunday morning? Like, if you're fighting with your spouse, come to church. It's the best place you can be. And you can sit there like this. I've done it. (laughs) And slowly, the Spirit of God starts, you know, you start going down like this. I mean, this is the best place for you because the community of faith builds each other up in Christ. You've got to fight for your faith. Because you know what Satan wants to do? In John 10, 10, he says, the evil one wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. He hates Jesus. He's our greatest treasure. So it's a fight. And we have to fight against it every day. We have to fight against it every second of our lives. That Jesus, you are worth it. You are my treasure. And when we don't do it, guess what we do? We give each other grace. And we encourage, and we pray, and we lift each other up. So there may be some of you right now, you may be in that place. You may think, this sermon's too long. It probably is. You may think, I don't want to be here. You may have struggled to even walk in those doors this morning. This may be your first time here. And I'm telling you, there's a God of the universe that loves you and knows you. And when you put him in, the, in his rightful place, you will get life and peace. Because you get God. And so my encouragement, my challenge to you and myself is that there would never be a book written about us that would say, you worship with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. But that we would be known as David, continually messing up, but longing to know Jesus, longing to make him king and Lord of our lives. That when we gather with the church, that this would be an expression whether we want to be here or not, whether we're fighting against the, you know, our, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against the powers of the air. This is our fight. And so when we come together with the church, when we come to our gospel communities, when we come and serve people on behalf of Christ, we're at home with our families leading them, that we would treasure Jesus above all else. And so maybe that's you this morning, and, and I would encourage you to fight for that. Fight for this greatest treasure that that is worth selling all that you have. Jesus is worth it. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you can speak to us through a collection of books inspired by the Spirit, written by frail humanity over thousands of years. That even to this day, Lord, this isn't archaic, but this is life. I'm thankful for Red Tree. I'm thankful for this community of faith that loves the gospel, that loves what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that as we move from this space into the rest of this afternoon, into the rest of our weeks, into those moments, Lord, I pray that we would remind ourselves of your grace in our lives for when we do mess up. But Lord, I pray even beyond that, that you would be our greatest treasure. Lord, help us to believe. We want to believe. Lord, help our our unbelief. So Lord, thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us an inheritance. Thank you for 
wrapping us in the righteousness of Christ. And Lord, we just give this time to you. And we love you. May you be our greatest treasure, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Red Tree Church. Visit redtreechurch.com for more information.